hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're taking a look at the state of Hillary Clinton's health. So, Peter, if you can lead us in, tell me, why are we talking about Hillary Clinton's health and, and, and why does it matter? So, this I think it was this week, uh, in the very height of the campaigning for the um, presidential elections, Hillary Clinton was taken ill and taken to hospital um, with, I think, suspected pneumonia. And she was, there's quite a lot of um, media footage of her being pretty feverish, sweaty and... Um, uh, stumbling around trying to get into a car and things so she was obviously quite ill um, and and this would possibly be not a good thing when you're uh, running for president because you want your president to be both sort of fit and able in body and mind uh, mm. and able to take on such a complicated and important office. So that's I guess that's the simple question answer to the question, you know, why do we care about her health? I think one of the things that's interesting is just from, from this side of the Atlantic is I don't think we care that much over here about the health of our politicians. Maybe we don't like them very much. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if they love them that much in the US either, but but I think it's I I think it's I I understand it's sort of common practice or it's usually in the US to sort of for the for the president or the or the potential president to always release their health uh, records and actually their financial records as well and over here we don't really do that and I guess it's to do with being head of state as well as being head of government but um, well I think that I think there's a there's an interesting cultural difference there which I don't think we want to get into much but I think the American the American culture is more about being on show and being demonstrably this is what we can do this is who we are whereas UK western european culture is much is usually a bit more conservative reserved and it's you 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 observe people's behavior and and outcomes more than who, advertising who they are actually no, well, I, I think this reminds me of a um a, a, something i read about about london it's a, a book called in search of london by hv morton where he talks about the fact that uh, european royal families have these enormous schlosses you know half the city taken up with a huge castle um and whereas whereas the british royal family have st james's and st james's palace in uh, in uh, whitehall is um considered you know it was widely regarded as a bit of a joke among european royals it was like a tumble down townhouse hmm. but he makes the point you know that actually uh the British royal family has been going for longer while revolution swept all of these other things away and I, I think that sort of uh, brings us on a bit to what we were going to talk about mm. even though yeah, okay we might think it's a bit weird for the Americans to be so obsessed with 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 uh, Hillary Clinton's got pneumonia but we all do things like this where we you know we judge um, we will we'll judge uh, a candidate for a job by by you know the shoes he's wearing or how nice his suit looks which is not you know people are we're voting for the president so because they make good decisions we're not voting because they're healthy and like but likewise you know we, we employ someone presumably because they're good at their job and unless their job is to stand there looking nice in a suit mm. um why do we look at things that are do not appear to be superficially related to the thing we're interested in what I, and, and so i guess is it is the question that we are trying so here effectively we're talking about signaling okay and is it the case that the signaler signaler is looking to signal or is it is it more um 
Sorry, guys. Um, a reminder, I've got a podcast recording today. Mm. Um, yeah, so my point is this. So is it a question that the signaler is consciously making these signals? Or is it, a que- is it that they're doing it subconsciously and that as the receivers of this signal that we are primed to, to, to receive this f- for what we're looking for? Well, signaling theory um, is, a, is a study of, of exactly this. Um, and uh, it, it's, it suggests that the 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 sender and the receiver are the two parties in any sort of signaling transaction um they they both are in a a competition um often it's sort of it may be related to um whether or not there's a viable mating candidate or a sort of, sort of collaboration candidate if you're hoping to do something build a bridge or whatever um and uh, it's it's present in all in all parts of sort of the animal kingdom uh, and very prevalent in our own um, and it, and it, signaling theory suggests that you can uh, both infer uh, from somebody else's signals uh, and imply with your own signaling some unobservable intrinsic quality about about the, the about yourself. Mm. Um, and uh, so you, so these signals are often proxies for um, for indicating some other kind of quality. And it there is the signaling theory does tell us what the characteristics need to be for a signal to work so to work in this context right mm-hmm. here we have this this sort of a competition i want to find people who are good say so i'm mm. looking for high quality people but low quality people would would like to be mistaken for high quality people mm. that's the problem that there's an asymmetry of information the high the low quality people know they're low quality but i i can't tell the difference that as for a signal to be successful it's got to be costly, but it has to be more costly for low-quality people mm. than it is for high-quality people. So when you start looking around for signals that, that appear to do this job, you d- you actually start finding them everywhere. In fact, there's a, uh, a US um, uh, theorist called uh, Robin Hansen who, who believes that signaling is really fundamental to human interaction. But if you take an example of something like wearing a nice suit... Mm. Um, you know, it's it's hard. It's easier for someone with lots of money to get a nice suit. So that tells you that the person's got lots of money. Well, we're not employing them to have lots of money, but it's easier for people who are good at their job to earn lots of money. So, so people who are good at their job, one way or the other, find it easier to wear a nice suit. Mm-hmm. So that sort of works as a signal. Yeah. Um, you look at something like having a posh accent. Uh, that's uh, easier for people who went to a good school to have. Um, you know, for for whatever reason, it, it just they're, they're raised like that. If you're raised in a certain way, it's very very hard to to disguise it. Yeah. Um, and then you can think about that in the context of other types of signal that we use. The suntan is an interesting example, where um, you know a long time ago it was more expensive to not have a suntan because you know most people had to go and work outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you had a suntan, it, it showed that you were probably a manual labourer of some kind. Um, and then, of course, you know, as people, more and more people worked inside, even people who weren't, uh, you know, rich or, or high status worked inside, that no longer became a signal. It no longer became important for women to paint their faces white. Mm. And um, then uh, suntan started being a signal of being rich enough to go abroad. Um, mm. You know, then ha- having a suntan was a high status thing mm. at that point because it was more costly for, for high status, uh, for, for low status people to get one. And then we get to where we are today, where it ceased to be an indicator of anything. And now suntans are, um, if anything, you know, a, a, a signal of low status. So, you know, that, that's the key thing. We, we should expect to see signals where there's a value in differentiating between people 
and uh, it's harder for the low quality, but it doesn't even matter what it is. It could be totally unconnected, but as long as it's harder for the low quality people or the low quality things uh, to, to, to send the signal, then it's going to do its job. Okay, so where does this leave us? What, how do we use this information? What, what, what's the Aleph thing? What is the, what's the Aleph angle on this? What do we, what do we do with this information? I think the, uh, I think the answer is a lot. Actually, it's something that we can think about in, in lots of, uh, uh, in lots of domains. So, you know, if you're trying to find a good shop, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's the, if we're in that similar situation, so if there's high quality shops and low quality shops, mm. um, you've got to think about what if I'm choosing this shop on the basis of the way it looks, um, you know what what signals are going to be harder for low quality shops to send, mm-hmm. and and that's where things like you know Michelin stars are a good example. I mean, you know it's it's it, it sort of seems obvious to us that if you get a Michelin star and you're a restaurant, you must be good. But why do we bother with that? Uh, it's because it's much much harder for for rubbish restaurants to have Michelin stars, um, and uh, you know so so if but whereas green grocers for example they don't need to look like expensive shops from the outside because you can tell the quality of the things that they've got uh, very easily you know there's no it's it, there's no asymmetric information problem so so this kind of tells us of the kinds of the kinds of things we sh- we should expect to to need to worry about signaling when it's hard to tell what the quality of something is but where there is still a high and low quality um uh dimension to it so for example uh, you might expect dry cleaners um not to particularly need to signal by having a flash looking shop um because uh dry, dry cleaning is neither high quality nor no low quality but be, as long as they don't destroy your suit it's either dry cleaned or it isn't hmm. so you, what, so th- so what so on a practical level yeah. what this could potentially let you do is produce a an assessment framework for maximizing the amount of information you gather from observing um, the signalling given off by other people or by uh, businesses as part of your your due diligence process about whether or not you're engaging their services. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and such a framework would wrap in and weight, accord, uh, weight, weight appropriately what um, factors are most li- um, are, are likely to be prevalent within that context, be they the cultural or the, or the technical. So this, I think this is what I was going to lead towards. So is what you're saying there that we can build a model that will predict, let's just say in the case of shops, that will predict what kind of shops will, where some will look, look nicer than others. and in, Not and even w- look nicer. The, right. the thing is that the ones that will feel the need to signal, right? Yeah. And that, that's, so, so a signal could just be, you know, having, I mean, why do people put established in 1970 on their shops? You know, why does that send a signal where established last year doesn't, right? And it's because longevity is difficult. It's 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 harder for rubbish shops to, to last a long time than it is for good shops. Mm-hmm. So so telling people when you're established, that's that's a good signal. Okay, so let let's sort of bring it back to where we started then, Peter. So what does this tell us about Hillary Clinton, for example? So um the the, the, the as I alluded to earlier, you off you want some reassurance that who you're voting for is going to be able to f- perform uh, as you ho- as you need them to perform in their job mm. and president is uh, no different it's a, probably one of the hardest and most complicated jobs in the world uh, with the, one of the great a huge amount of responsibility so you know you're an indication of someone's physical health um, 
is a direct indicator of how likely they are to survive the term and be fun and function well within it. Um, but at a biological level, your physical health and your mental health are extremely linked. In fact, you know, arguably this is all the same thing, and it's just a very artificial division between the two. Mm. So if you're if you're physically unhealthy, you're more likely to be mentally unhealthy as well, and not make good decisions and not 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 perform in that job or so well. Mm -hmm. um, so that that so this this demonstration of health and this um, going out of the way to look bold and strong and um, uh, and a, is, is very tied to being uh, the perception of, of a good leader mm -hmm. um, the, you know the, when we were when we were living in caves and on the plains you know the, the tribal leader would probably have been a, a, a combination of the smartest and the strongest person amongst the group um, and people would look, sort of look to them to make decisions and, and, and lead them into, into battle. So even though, and I mean, this doesn't, uh, it, this is no longer something where we, we need to look for an explanation, uh, an explanation that makes this rational for this specific case. Mm. Even if Hillary Clinton had a bad cold, I think on some level, because we have evolved to read signals, we would still start to wonder about her her mental health simply because we've evolved to pick up that connection between between um, physical and and mental health. Um, but these things are very old. I mean, some of the things Peter was talking about, uh, like taking risk taking, for example, is you get a lot of risk taking behaviours, um, particularly along like men who are competing for women. Uh, it's been found that women like risk taking in men. And uh, men obviously like to take risks. You know, they like to um, sort of ride, ride, they drive less safely, and you know, d do extreme sports. Um, and the re and that the reason is that you know the theory would say, well, uh, people who are stronger and fitter um, and more fertile, uh, they are just it's less of a risk for, to them. Like they they're less likely to die because they're more likely to survive these sorts of trials. Um, so, so I think you know, the, the, on an evolutionary level, that it, it sort of explains why we care about the health, the physical health of presidents, yeah. because we've evolved to, you know, quite rightly read that as a as an indicator of mental health, even though in this case it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Also, what's sort of striking in this case is that we can look at someone with a cold or whatever it might turn out to be and go, hmm, not sure about this, um, and yet at the same time look at someone who's bright orange with a bizarre sort of mop top sort of hair everywhere and given what you've talked about the link between physical health and mental health and just go doesn't someone who wants to project that much um virality virility rather someone who wants to project project that much virility we don't you know we don't sort of question or maybe we do question overcompensation well, actually, there is this issue of counter signaling which I, I thought well, it might be might be a bit too far for this particular podcast but the the idea is that if you are sufficiently high status and have sufficient a number of other signals, yeah. you no longer need to worry about the, the signal that everyone else is using. So, um, you know, the classic example is not wearing a tie. You know, it, when when um, people uh, wore ties to differentiate themselves from manual workers who didn't because they couldn't because they were operating machinery or whatever, having a tie was a sign of being uh, a professional um you know but the thing is that someone who's a boss with a big office and uh, you know they don't they don't have to do that anymore they've got enough signals to show you that they're high status so they don't need mm. to wear the tie it's why you get the boss without a tie and his underlings who are wearing ties you know and that that's so so it, in the case of donald trump uh, you know actually it's quite a powerful signal to say i don't need to i don't need to look like 
you know, all of these other people. I'm Donald Trump. My name is on my aeroplane. You know, I don't need to conform to what you think uh, uh, the you know a, good, a successful politician looks like, and and but and, and that is you know again it's not contradicting; it's sort of explained by the the, the same theory. There's there's another good example of that um, in um, industries where your output and your your prowess is highly measurable. Take for example software engineering, where your thing either works or it doesn't, and you can very easily measure how many things you have produced. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, the, amongst that culture, job interviews are often extremely casual uh, and people often dress down to go to the interview trying to find a dirty ripped t-shirt because that sends the message that I'm all about the code, not about my appearance. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I spend my entire life in front of the computer, that's my main focus. I, maybe I should take that tip if I'm doing some job interviews myself. Uh, or maybe that's where I've been going, I've been dressing down in the wrong industry, that's what I've been doing wrong. <laughs> Um, be wearing I, ripped t-shirts to bank interviews well I, 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 do you know what not to banking interviews but I once I, work, I used to work for Chatham House and um, it was quite an illustrious dare I say it slightly stuffy institution sometimes and my wife uh, once had stopped me on the doorstep as I was leaving for work because I was wearing um, like a slightly garish Hawaiian shirt Okay, and I was just I was going, I was going off to work that day. If you had a and, Nobel Prize, that would be fine. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and unfortunately that wasn't the case. And but I I do remember feeling, look, I um you know I can do this, I you know, but she said no, you you just really shouldn't go to work looking like that, and especially not at Chatham House. So uh, so yeah, um okay, well look, um can we close this off can we sort of seal this all off i mean what would what you want to any anything extra to add here well um i mean ideally we wouldn't need signaling so in an ideal world we would be able to tell the quality of something and, and you can see a lot of a lot of technology has sort of driven us towards being able to get instant feedback on things and and so we might speculate that you know the the better sensors get the the better we are able to just sort of tell how good someone is uh, because there's more information about them um signaling should be less of a thing and i think you know if uh, the, the the peter's model there of you know the things that we currently think of as important to demonstrate such as you know timekeeping and um and uh and wearing wearing smart clothes mm. might in future become less and less of a, a, a of uh a, of a useful signal because they will you know that they will be able to measure the quality of someone's output directly okay and, and um, at which point the the the, the the market will sort of decide who the winner is um, and there won't be uh, as much kind of uh, as much signaling required so um, I think I think this is our, I think the, the dry cleaner example um, you, you, because there's a sort of standard of an accepted standard of goodness it's either clean or it's not yeah um, and dry cleaners probably source their customers from immediate local areas yeah. so a few blocks around so as long as there's not too, uh, too high density of dry cleaners, a dry cleaner that is good will succeed. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, they don't need to message about, they don't need to shout about their service as much. So um, all I need to do then is, is you know, from a business point of view, if I'm looking for, is just just go on Google Maps or something and work out where there's a, where there's a hole where there are no dry cleaners. And, and pretty much I can't go wrong. Just it's, It sounds like there's... Boom. Yeah, yeah. Done. there's no marketing <laughs> costs. There's, you know, that's a, that, that's a very good strategy that that shops employ. They do a sort of, they do a statistical analysis of an area. Uh, yeah. I've seen this work for bike shops, destination bike shops, and destination pubs, where they do some research, work out where uh, there's a gap, um, 
that's within a sort of commuting distance, uh, either by you know by car or by foot or by bike. Yeah. Uh, and to deliberately choose to put a, a shop there for no other reason than it's somewhere like people are likely to go. Well, that sort of makes sense on one level, but all the more so, I'm saying it's even easier if you're a dry cleaner, right? Because you don't have to worry. I I, I suspect setting up a destination. Well, you still have to make shop. sure you don't destroy people's suits. I mean, let's just you know let's get this in perspective. Yeah, there's, there's always that. But I think it must be easier to open and run a, a dry cleaners than it is a destination hipster coffee cafe bike shop. I think. Well, am I am I wrong? I don't know. I don't know. I think you're doing. Oh, sorry, I don't know why I'm. Cost, I don't know why I'm asking you guys. Up a dry cleaning shop are probably quite high. I would yeah, have thought, you're doing so. a disservice. Dry cleaning. There might be much more in it than 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 you're uh, giving it credit. Yeah, for. maybe I'm overly respecting. And I, I suspect you know, unless you unless you suddenly found a new town that didn't have a dry cleaner in it. I think the market's probably reasonably saturated. Fair point. Because well, oh, another because it could, it could be because it's relatively easy, right? Anyway, um, we've 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 run out of time. But just before we do, are we signalling to each other right now? I mean, I actually I literally am signalling. I'm pointing at you, Peter. But are we signalling anything to each other? I I think it might be time for a coffee. Okay, that's a quite a strong signal. Yeah. Okay. Look, let's wrap there. Um, thank you very much, gentlemen. Um, thank you all, as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I've been here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And until next time, thank you. Mm-hmm.